how we need to walk in the contentment and joy in the journey. And I have learned, just like Paul, to be content. And that isn't something that, you know, one day you know, you're just content and the next day you're content. It's a learned situation. And so, first of all, I want to share with you just a little something because, you know, it's a destination. In other words, that means that we need to get there. Okay? That means we're going to travel together. We're going to be, what, fellow travelers during this hour that we have. All right? And we need to learn this contentment. And usually our contentment, sadly to say, is fed by our expectations. It's fed by our expectations, and especially the expectations that we have in our husbands. We always have these expectations in our husbands, don't we? We expect them to be this way, do that, be this, and everything. Well, we're going to check exactly what our expectations are in our husbands because they change as we grow up. Okay? Do we have any people in their 20s here? 20s? Hands up. Come on. Be proud, 20s. Excellent. All right. Okay. 20s, this is for you, all right? This is what you expect in your husband. Handsome, charming, financially successful, a caring listener. Now, it goes without saying that you want him to be a Jesus follower, okay? All the rest is extra, right? A caring listener, witty, in good shape, dresses with style, appreciates finer things, full of thoughtful surprises, and an imaginative romantic lover. Okay, now who has that in their husband in their 20s? Go ahead, raise your hand. No one... Oh, too bad. I'll keep the CD then. Who does? Still nobody raises their hand? This is a first. Okay. How about like, there you go. Excellent. <laughs> well, mine is at least six out of the eight. <laughs> All right. How about your 30s? How many are in your 30s? Raise your hand. All right. This is your expectation list of your husband. Ready? He's nice looking. He opens car doors. He holds chairs. He has enough money for a nice dinner. He listens more than he talks. He laughs at my jokes. He carries bags of groceries. He owns at least one tie. He appreciates a good home-cooked meal. He remembers birthdays and anniversaries. And he seeks romance at least once a week. All right. Uh, oh, look, right up. The purple. Right there in the purple. Excellent. She's like, that's mine. That's my husband. Okay. All right. In the 40s. Okay. In the 40s. This, this, oh, oh, look at everybody. Go up. 40s. You got, this is the perfect age, you know, in your 40s. I think that's what we're going to be in heaven. Just that perfect age, right? All right. Okay, in the 40s, these are the expectations. He's okay looking. <laughs> he clicks open the car door with remote from the sidewalk. <laughs> he has enough money for the kids and you to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. Uh, a night out with, uh, with him is with the kids after basketball practice at Noodles and Company. He doesn't understand your humor at all. Uh, he's a weekend warrior who sports injuries, especially back. The idea of dressing up is him wearing those free corporate America uh, polo shirts. My husband is at Rockwell Automation. If I see one more Rockwell Automation thing on him, you know, I'm dressing up, honey. All right. Um, he's in a great mood only when his tummy is full. Uh, he remembers your cell because it's programmed in with 200 others. Uh, he locks the door to your bedroom at night so the kids don't intrude. All right. Uh, right there. In the black. Excellent. See? Actually, since... This is my husband. I wrote that from that. All right. Uh, love you, honey. All right. In your 50s. How many people are in your 50s? Okay. Excellent. All right. In your 50s. Not too ugly. Doesn't drive off until I'm in the car. He works steady. He splurges on dinner out occasionally. He nods his head when I'm talking. 
Uh, he usually remembers punchlines of jokes. He's in good enough shape to rearrange the furniture. <laughs> he wears a shirt that covers his stomach. One time I used this guy, and I'm not kidding, this lady goes, his stomach and his... Mm. <laughs> Oversharing. Okay. He remembers to put the toilet seat down, and he shaves most weekends. All right. Right there. All right. Right there. Beautiful white hair lady right here. The glory of the Lord in the black. All right? Okay. Any 60s? 60s, hands up. All right. Excellent. 60s. Okay, ladies. <laughs> here's, here's your expectations. They've been lowered a tad. He keeps his hair in his nose and ears trimmed. <laughs> he doesn't belch or scratch in public. He doesn't borrow money too often. He doesn't nod off to sleep when I'm venting. He doesn't retell the same joke too many times. He's in good enough shape to get off the couch on weekends. He usually wears matching socks and fresh underwear. He appreciates a good TV dinner. He remembers your name on occasion, and he shaves some weekends. All right. Come on. All right. Right here. In the, Katie, you see your hand? In the maroon. Excellent. See, when people admit it right away, they, they need a CD. Okay. Anybody in their 70s? 70s. Look at that. You've outlived your husband. All right. If you, this is hysterical, I'll tell you this. You can give it to anybody who raises their hand. All right. In the, not, it's when I'm done, when I'm done. Okay. He doesn't scare small children. He remembers where the bathroom is. He doesn't require much money for upkeep. He only snores lightly when, it, when asleep. He remembers why he's laughing. <laughs> he's in good enough shape to stand up all by himself. He usually wears some clothes, loves soft food, remembers where he left his teeth, and remembers that it's the weekend. Okay? That right here. Absolutely. <laughs> and then lastly... Um, my sister's here in Maryland, and, uh, and um, my, our mom lived until she was 88 a year and a half ago, and I always thought this was who it. So if you're in your 80s, your expectation level of your husband is this. Two things. He's breathing, and he doesn't miss the toilet. <laughs> uh, so your expectations will be dashed every time, won't they, guys, if they're not in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, from you and through you and through you are all things. I thank you that uh, we learn contentment. I thank you that uh, you are the secret to contentment. I thank you that contentment is a cousin of joy and how Glenna has been sharing all about joy in the journey. Lord, I ask that you would just still our hearts. Thank you for humor. Thank you for fun. Thank you for fellowship as women. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just still our hearts and make us all here. Lord, don't let us think about the next thing or lunch or the next program or what we're going to do this afternoon. Lord Jesus, still our hearts and take our minds captive under the obedience of Christ. And Lord, as always, I just pray that if anyone is in here, Jesus, that um, doesn't know you personally as a relationship, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords of their life that came down into, from eternity into time, and died on the cross for us. Oh, God, may you be revealed to them this very day, this very hour, and let them know that um, you died for them, and you live for them, and you're seated at the right hand of God the Father for them, interceding for them right now. 
And so, Jesus, I ask that you just take me away, that I am not even noticed, that it's just the Holy Spirit speaking, and I won't say a word unless it comes through you first, Jesus. Because my words aren't life-changing, but God, I know that I know that yours are. And so I praise you for that. I thank you for that ahead of time. We walk in perfect faith, and Lord, speak to us. Change my heart. Purify my heart. Change me once again, and may we go out of this room changed. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Oh, good amen. Good job. Okay, years ago at Breakaway, Precious Jill Briscoe, right? There's no Jill. Hear what she shared? She shared this. Your husband will never be enough. Your kids will never be enough. Your job will never be enough. Your successes will never be enough. Your friends never be enough. Only Jesus Christ is going to be enough. And did you know that that's one of his names? The God who is enough. That means he's enough for every single circumstance. That means that before it touched you, it touched him. Because he's the God who is enough. Now, just think about this. Not Webster's definition, but what does contentment mean to you? Just think about it. Okay? Not, you know, going to the Webster's book and looking, but let's look at it as a practical situation. Okay? Let's think about a practical um, example in your life and try to envision that. Like a friend or a neighbor that, that you know that doesn't possess a lot of things, but boy, there's a big old smile on her face. She's content. Or maybe you've been in assisted living, like my mom, uh, our mom lived in for years. And, you know, when you walk in there, she's not a curmudgeon. She's the one who smiles and, and greets you and realizes that, you know what, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where God has me at this time. In fact, I remember um, um, as my mom's body was failing her, um, of course, her spirit wasn't because she was living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember um, a guy named Fred, who was the caretaker of her, after she had gone to heaven, said, you know what? No one has changed me like your mom because she wasn't a curmudgeon. She was always thinking about Fred, always this, always that, even though she needed to be in assisted living. See, that's a practical, living out loud definition of contentment. I'm sure you heard like an old saying, you know, content is a couple of cows. Remember the cows are, you know, eating the pasture and just content and chewing their cuds. And, oh, what a, what a vision of contentment. Well, just think about this. What would happen if the cows stopped grazing on their greenery? And just went to the fence and longingly looked over the fence to the other grass, thinking that that was greener. What would happen? There's a um, French novel by Madame Bovary called, um, it's called, excuse me, Madame Bovary. It's by Gustave Flaubert. And it's about this woman who is never, ever happy with her circumstances, even though she has a doting husband. Not like the ones we just read about or heard about. She had a doting husband, and nothing, nothing, nothing would make her happy. She was always looking for greener pastures. She always was looking for better relationships. She was always looking for more material things in an attempt to fill this void in her heart. And she was frustrated beyond belief, and she missed the truly good things in life. Now a little closer to home, because I have a seven-year-old, is Madame Blueberry. Now, Madame Blueberry, anybody know who, that, who she is? Absolutely. She's what? A veggie tail, right? Oh, perfect. Madame Blueberry says, I'm so blue, ooh, 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 I'm so blue, I don't know what to do. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. 
she is a blueberry and she's so blue she doesn't know what to do because she's looking on the outside for everything and she sees everybody else has better tree houses than she does and more stuff. And they get the stuff at Stuff Mart. They get the stuff at Stuff Mart. And they get more stuff and more stuff. And so she thinks that's what it is to contentment. I'm going to get more stuff. And so she wants the dishes and this and that and this. And she gets it all and guess what? She realizes she still doesn't have a happy heart. And it's by the end of the veggie tale, she sees a little girl who doesn't have anything, a little boy who doesn't have anything. And she looks at them and sees how happy they are. And they're able to tell her about contentment lies in Jesus. See, Madame Blueberry, Madame Flaubert, guess what? They're discontented. They are discontented. And discontentment is this un, you know, satisfied outlook that cries, I need more. I need more. I don't have enough. I need something more. I need something different. I need to feel happy. I need something new. I need something to make me feel good. Have you ever had the grumpies? <laughs> yeah, the grumpies? Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Be honest, okay? So, on a day when nothing goes well. In fact, I will probably tell you it was this last Friday. <laughs> like yesterday, Right? I mean, you were trying to be such a good mom, such a good wife, such as too much to do, to this, right? And you were trying to get out of the house, and the grumpies come and bite you, right? And they're there. And what happens is if you give in to those natural human emotions, what happens is you get a chip on your shoulder, you complain about all the things you don't like, you start being outward focused and blaming everybody around you, and a, like an almost visible brown cloud comes and stands over your head. Well, in our house, when you're grumpy, you wear the grumpy shirt. Okay? Oh, yeah, we're in Disney World, and we're walking through, and man, grumpy shirt. This says, this is designated grumpy zone. You guys see that? It's an extra large. You know why? <laughs> My husband's an extra large. <laughs> Troy's, of course, a peanut, so it's, it's a little dress on her. However, it says on here, it says, by order of the Cuz I Said So Department, Walt Disney World. And on the back it says, Grumpy Wear, Clothes with an Attitude. <laughs> so this is a grumpy shirt. And what we do is, is anybody, Becca, Tori, Brian, or myself, we all have absolutely equal ground to be able to go up and get the grumpy shirt. And if you're grumpy, you get the grumpy shirt. And we get to put it on you until you get the grumpy. And what happens is, is it's very sweet. Because we'll be like, uh-oh, 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 got the grumpies, and we'll go and run and get the grumpy shirt, and put it on. And by that time, by that time, you realize that, you know, you're looking at everything around you to make you happy, instead of looking to the creator who created you in the beginning. And so, it usually is like, oh, man, please forgive me. I'm sorry I did that. So, it's a, it's a tangible little evidence of, a reminder, I should say, of, you know what? We have a choice. We have a choice. We can either go down that human flesh road or, and wear the grumpy shirt, or we can choose him. You know, um, in, uh, when that happens, when, when the grumpies overtake, when you allow the grumpies to overtake you, that affects everybody around you. It pukes out over everyone. It does. It's just like, what? And it just goes over everyone. And you know, when life bumps into you, it's what's already on the inside of you that spills out. 
already what's on the inside of you already that spills out. See, in your heart, you know that God intends you to live differently than that. He doesn't intend for you to live with that like outside shell. He intends for you to live in contentment. But how do you overcome that daily rush of you know, negative thoughts or those activities? Or how do you get past those circumstances? You know, like they're not there. Or you know what? Is that even what God wants us to do? Well, in the book of Philippians, we're going to turn to the Word of God, right? Because it, and there is everything we need for life and for death. And in the book of Philippians, which is my favorite book of the Bible, I know every word in the Word of God is inspired Word of God, but man, Philippians is joy in the journey, guys. All four chapters are joy in the journey of, of, of your life. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, he writes to encourage this group of believers to, to experientially know the peace of God. In fact, it says that peace that passes all human understanding. And he says in Philippians 4, 10 through 12, I'll read it to you, but if you want to look it up, you may. Philippians 4, 10 through 12. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity to show it. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. These words, guys, came from Paul, a man who was in prison in Rome under the unrelenting, watchful guard of the palace guard. And back then, in the palace guard, you guys, there were thousands of guards, thousands of guards that would come and go through Paul's life. And he was under house arrest with these elite, elite palace guards. And Paul had no idea of how long he was going to be there. None. You know, God didn't email him and say, Paul, you know, it's only a couple more days. Hang on there. You know what? That's not what he does. He encourages you. But he doesn't tell you when you're done going through this. And he didn't know all the time that he'd have to live without privacy and without freedom. And you know what happened? He was grounded from the work that he loved. He loved being out sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember how he came? Once he was blind, then he saw. Right? He was killing Christians zealously, and then he was bringing people to Christ zealously. And he was brought out of that, and he missed it. He was grounded from what he loved. He also, other believers were rubbing it into Paul. They were going, nana, nana, boo, boo, you're inside the jail, we're out here doing this. And they were trying to take over his teaching area. So he knew that was happening, and they capitalized uh, his being inside the prison. The situation stunk big time, and the environment was so negative, it was so depressing, as you can imagine. And you know what? If Paul had let his environment control him, if he had let his environment determine his attitude, guess what? Total discontentment. He would have been totally discontented. And guess what? I would have pulled out the grumpy shirt. Grumpy shirt who he come. But you know what? That's not how Paul lived. That's not how he lived. 
He lived it calm and collected and his eyes on Jesus and assured of his well-being. And the secret of this contentment is the next verse down in Philippians 4.13, which I'm sure you've heard time and time and time again. And perhaps you've heard it quoted in various contexts and perhaps out of context. And it says like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I always like to read different translations of, of the Word of God. And so I went to the message. And the message is this incredibly... Eugene Peterson spent 10 years going back to the original Greek and Hebrew to write in conversational language of today. And he writes like this. He keeps me functioning each and every day. Without him, I will be nothing. Without him, I am nothing. But with him... I can do all things. Let me read that again. He keeps me functioning each and every day. Without him, I will be nothing. Without him, I am nothing. But with him, I can do all things. See, Paul was attending the school of contentment. He was learning how to be content. He was attending it. He was realizing that the school of contentment is who we are. It's who we are. It's not what we have. He's also learning that, you know, he's satisfied with necessities, not with luxuries. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7, it talks about that. It talks about that he is satisfied. And instead of the wants, with just the necessities. That it's okay, that he's given God that right. And he's okay and he's content in that. See, this precious guy, Paul, that, you know, wrote half, more than half of the New Testament. He was no, like, pie-in-the-sky visionary, guys. He, you know, like, like, that sat in this Roman, you know, prison, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to deny this reality. Are you kidding me? This guy has gone through shipwrecks, beatings, rejection, ridicule, public outrage. Read it in 2 Corinthians 11. It, I mean, it's a litany. It's two paragraphs of what he had gone through and what he had suffered. But he says in Philippians 3.10, my life verse, I want to know Christ, which means just like a husband and wife know each other intimately. I want to know Christ and share with him in the fellowship of his suffering. Because he is in the school of contentment. See, he could look at these bleak prospects, humanly speaking, and he could say, you know what? I can be truly content in any circumstance. He didn't say, ladies, whoopee, man, I am sure glad I'm in jail again. Wow, this is fun. Yeah, this is super. No, he didn't rejoice in the situation. You don't rejoice in the situation. He rejoiced that his attitude was rooted in something that no situation could take from him. No situation could take this from him. And it's that untouchable love relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. And it's our untouchable love relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that allows us to go through any and every circumstance because we know that it has touched him before it's touched us because everything that he allows to happen to us is for our good and for his glory. Do we believe that? You know, can I say that? Do I want to say that? Do I want to fight that? You can. God's a gentleman. He'll let you fight that. 
He'll let you, you know, go along and persist. But you know what? Really, I'd invite you to this pool of contentment. You know, Paul could have complained. He could have complained and spent his days weeping and yearning for better times. He could have been confused and angry. What? You saved me for this? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You know, boy, you don't seem too concerned about this God. You know, he, you know, lack of response for my condition going on here. Well, did God not care for his comfort? Is that who our great God is? You know, why, well, why couldn't he enjoy a quiet life, you know, and not harassed by Roman guards and all the difficulties, you know, while he was in Rome? You know, when, when Paul said that Christ was his strength for everything, he meant everything. We don't know what's around the corner, but I know that I know I have God's strength for everything that's around the corner. I already have that. That's mine, because that's who he is. See, when Paul said that Christ was his strength for that, he meant that, and he meant everything. Sometimes meant negative experiences. It sometimes means that. See, Paul didn't worry about counting his haves and his have-nots and his spirit of that grasping fear. He knew that he knew that God's best was his best for him. Because he knew God. See, part of our problem, ladies, and my problem, is that we don't know the King of Kings. We don't know that we know him. We have all kinds of misconceptions about him. And we haven't dug into the word for ourselves. Oh, we're under the word. It's tremendous that you're a breakaway and under the word. But you know what? Until you get in and dig in the word and read the word and digest it and let it be your light and breath, that's when you know that you know that he is the God who is enough in every and all circumstance. See, he knew that because he was daily abiding in Christ. He was daily abiding in Christ. Trusting him to provide in exactly what he needed for that day. And you know that word abiding? It's, it's, it's that infused where one stops, the other starts, where one you know, starts, the other one stops, and you can't see the difference. It's that infusion. And that abiding has to do with those thousands of secret hours that you spend alone with Jesus Christ. You know, I get up at 3.30 in the morning, and it's wonderful. I didn't say, oh, God, please call me there. I want to get up at 3.30 in the morning. It is wonderful. You know why? My kids are asleep. My husband, if he's not traveling on business, is asleep. My colleagues are asleep. And I'm awake. And I'm awake with my Jesus. And it's tremendous. It's just him and me. I love it. Oh, I could get up at 4 and still make it. I wouldn't miss those thousands of secret hours where I buy. he talks to me. And I talk to him. Sometimes I yell at him. He knows that. He knows my thoughts already. It's those thousands of secret hours so that when life comes alongside your circumstances and hits you, it's what's already on the inside that spills out. Because you're going to the school of contentment. You guys remember Bonnie Blair? She was the speed skater that won seven gold. I've had the um, opportunity of doing a few things with her and and um, I shared with her how I used her as an example because she used to go around that oval by West Dallas round and round and round and round. She'd get up at 3.30, get there by 4, her dad was coaching her, and she'd just go round, 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 round. And then when life hit her upside the head at the Olympics, guess what? Pour it out. All that abiding. 
all that work, all that getting up. Nobody saw those secret hours. You and I went, yeah, Bonnie, Blair, whoa, yeah, USA, USA. We were crazy, right? Did we see those thousands of secret hours, the work that it took for her to come to that point? You guys, it's work, but it's the best work that's ever going to happen because the creator of the universe loves you. And you sit with him. And you abide with him so that you're ready for the day. You are ready in your heart for the day. See, you know, when this is happening and you're abiding and you're abiding with him, just like Paul was, then he was able to focus on the good that God was bringing out of this situation. He was able to focus on one, the incredible good that God was bringing out of this ugly situation. He was able to focus on the people who needed encouragement. He was able to focus on the things that he could accomplish if, you know, he was only right here. Guess where he wrote most of the New Testament from? Prison. Prison. The Holy Spirit, it says, carried him along. It says in Second Peter, carried him along. And he wrote it in prison. God knew that. God had way better plans for Paul than Paul could ever have thought. Same with you. Same with you, but you need to go to the school of contentment to learn that. There are other people in my life who have learned the secret, like Paul, of the school of contentment, of in Philippians 4.13. The second person who learned the secret of contentment, like Paul, is a lady named Carrie. And I'm sure many of you know Carrie. Her name is Carrie Wood. And um, we had the delight to coordinate Breakaway together. And we became really good friends. And um, Carrie was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, went through all the conventional and unconventional treatments. And was restored to normal life again with her husband and three kids. She was about 40 when this story happened. And about five and a half years ago. And, and she's one of my heroes. She had recently been told that her cancer had come back with a vengeance. And she made sure to call me to tell me before I heard about it from anybody else. She told me, hey, Margot, I'm great. Don't worry about me. And then she sent me this email. About two weeks ago, I started to feel some pain in my back, sides, and arms. So on Friday, I went to the hospital for some tests, bone scan, and kidney ultrasound. The right kidney doesn't look great. This is where the tumor is located, but it hasn't changed much from the other picture taken of it last May. The bone scan shows that the cancer has indeed moved into the bones, and that's the cause of all my pain. They've given me some great meds to regulate the pain, so on that end, I'm doing okay. Spiritually, I am doing great. I know that God has a plan for me and my family, and whatever that is, I absolutely want, want what he wants for me. He is in control, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Tom, her husband, is doing well, again, by the grace of God. He is strong and full of peace, and the kids, too, are doing well, and I know that God is in control and that what he chooses for us is right. They could never feel this way on their own, Margo. So praise the Lord for his hand in that. You think she had been abiding? You think she had been going to the school of contentment? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that she had to learn contentment whatever circumstance comes along? Her circumstances, guys, by the world's measure, were absolutely the pit. And she learned, like Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, to be joyful always, 
even when our outside sources had failed us. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you know what? She had chosen that path to go to the school of contentment, just like Paul. Did you hear a grateful heart to the one who she loves to distraction, Jesus? Did you hear that in her email? Did you hear, you know, that, that Carrie was full of contentment, that her source of contentment and strength was Jesus, and she wasn't about to give up on Jesus now just because of her circumstances. We tend to do that, don't we? That's exactly what I was thinking the race should look like, Jesus. So you know what? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about this. Okay, I still love you. Still love you. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. See, her relationship was solid, rock solid, because she knows whom she believed and is persuaded that he is able. She had learned the secret of Philippians 4.13. He keeps me functioning each and every day. Without him, I will be nothing. Without him, I am nothing. But with him, I can do all things. October 6, 2002, at 5 a.m. in the morning, Carrie went to her forever home. The source of her contentment. So, third person I want you to meet. I went to the school of contentment and learned the secret of contentment like Paul. Actually, it's a husband and wife team, Mark and Susan Brooke. I'm sure you know Susan Brooke was, was, is with Sacrifice of Praise. She's been to um, Breakaway many, many times. And in July of 2002, Mark, who was 42 at the time, they had a 7, 5, and 2-year-old. He came down with a rare form of cancer, and the prognosis was terminal. One doctor in New York said he'd do surgery. He'd set up a rigorous, you know, chemo and radiation and more surgery. Mark went through the surgery, and what happened is he returned to Freighter with a massive infection and six weeks in ICU. And I received this email from a friend to keep us informed. With a heavy heart, I tell you, Mark Brooke and his family urgently need your prayers. This afternoon, Mark's condition dramatically worsened. His body was not able to fight the infection. He's had another perforation, a complication from the infection. And the doctors are unable to operate again. His body is too broken. So the infection is now in the process of poisoning his entire system. He's back in intensive care unit, and the family has been told that his body is dying and it will not be long. He needs a miracle. Please pray for one. Psalm 77 says, You are the God of miracles, and we believe that. Pray, too, for God's will to be done and peace for Mark and his family. God's ways are always higher and always wiser and always better. Pray that God would touch Mark's family in a supernatural way and remind them of that. Remind them that even though they cannot see it right now, God has a plan and it will not be stopped. Sometimes miracles hide the Lord. If this is one of those times, pray that God would give the family the strength and wisdom to witness to those around them that God is still good. He is still on the throne. He has not abandoned Mark or his family. He is working out his purposes for his good. His promises are trustworthy. May your will be done, Lord. To God be the glory, great things he has done, he is doing, and he will continue to do. Amen. We believe it. Pray without ceasing. You know, um, Mark went home to be with Jesus. A couple weeks after Carrie did, in October of 2002. And I know that I know that Mark and Susan's contentment came from within. That abiding in Jesus day 
by day and not in their circumstances. So there's Paul, there's Carrie, there's Mark and Susan, and then the fourth person who learned the secret of contentment is my mom. My mom, uh, who learned it through circumstances, through tough circumstances, like Paul. In fact, I grew up in a God-fearing Christian family. When I was eight years old, I understood who Jesus was, and I thought, man, I better ask Jesus into my heart because I don't want to go to that other place. And so I thought, well, I better do this stuff. So I did all the right stuff in my head, and, you know, started quoting all the scripture and doing all the little sword drills and everything. Boy, I had it down, had it down, had it down. But it was all right up here. And as my life continued, um, I really thought, you know, I don't need this Jesus guy. And so in high school, you know, I, academics came easily to me. I was on the, you know, in high school, I thought, man, I'm doing well. And I'm a pom-pom girl and all those outside things that are important. Boy, that was great. And I was going along. And I knew it brought lots of pain to my mom. My college years were full of wrong, self-on-the-throne choices. And, you know, F-U-N, fun, was my ultimate goal. And right after graduation, I married a man that came with his own unique set of luggage. And I thought, you know, I could fix this. I could fix anything. I'm the Savior. You know, I'm this. You know, hurt puppies, come one, come all. And I couldn't. And in a year and a half, um, we had been divorced. And that was my first hint that I couldn't master my own world. And my precious mom kept praying. Went from the frying pan into the fire, thinking I could correct the past mistake I made. And so I didn't marry. This time to a, a man with... A, 52-inch chest, 19-inch arms, who uh, mentally, emotionally, physically uh, abused me for six years until I uh, was able to escape. Um, And uh, he had a private detective looking for me for a year, and I remember thinking that um, nobody knew this. My family, my friends, Marilyn, my mom, dad, Nobody knew this because I didn't want to be a failure to my family and friends again. And so I kept all of that hidden behind closed doors. At the same time, the advertising corporate ladder that was going up, 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 and I became a VP and, you know, high as the sky. And, well, it fell down and went bankrupt. My dad died suddenly. We were supposed to go to a Badger game, a Michigan State Badger game the next morning. I had gone home, and he died in his sleep. And divorce number two all happened within a year. And my world came crashing down around me. And all the while, my incredible mom was praying. She knew that I had made had decision for Jesus when I was eight. But of course, there was no fruit. There was nothing because uh, he hadn't gone from my head to my heart. And her prayer for me was, Lord, don't give Margo any peace. <laughs> Think he was answering that? Don't give Margo any peace until her peace rests alone in Jesus Christ. That is the kindest prayer you can pray for anyone who doesn't know Jesus. 
Because you guys, tonight, it's wonderful tonight at the Bama seat. We're going to find out, you know, really, it really is all about the day. It really is all about eternity. We really are eternal souls on loan to this world. Did you know that? Yeah. And so her prayer was, Lord, don't let Margot have any peace until her peace rests in you. And in utter dependence on self, man, I hit rock bottom. It's one of those eternal thumb pressures, I call, where God goes, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, C.S. Lewis says it like this. Um, I, God whispers to you in your pleasures. He speaks to you in your conscience. But he shouts to you in your trials. And most of us have to come to the point where he's shouting to us in our trials before we look up, don't we? And I remember I hit rock bottom. And just like the prodigal son, I came to my senses. That's the good part. When he comes to his senses, I came to my senses, and then I did this. I repented. I repented. You know what repentance means? Turn around and go the exact opposite way. It doesn't mean, sorry. Sorry. Ever have your kids go by? No, sorry. Sorry. You know, that doesn't go in our home. There's no, like, sorry. Because you know what that means? It means, sorry, got caught. Sorry, got caught. It doesn't mean that. Please forgive me for bitterness, selfishness, jealousy, root things, okay? I had never done that. Oh, Jesus, I'm the one who put you on the cross. Nobody else but me put you there. My sin alone did that. And you know what? You don't know that you need a Savior if you don't know what you're saved from. And I know that I was chief of all sinners, like Paul. And I repented. And I turned the opposite way. And my mom prayed and prayed and prayed for me for 17 years that God would change my heart. And she said, you know what? I wasn't about to give away my joy. Did you know that Satan can't come along and rob you of your joy? And Mark says, you have to give it away. You have to. So if you don't have your joy and this, this, guess what? It's because you're giving it away. And my mom said, you know what? I wasn't about to give away my joy. Are you kidding me? God loved you more than I do, Margo, and I laid you right at the foot of the cross and expected to see him work. That's faith. That's faith. That's the school of contentment. That's no matter what the circumstances. Her baby daughter living like this. What the circumstances? She knew that she knew that God was in control. And in spite of all my poor choices, God had the grace, the grace to give me a third marriage. This time to a man who loves Jesus to pieces. Um, we've been married almost 20 years. Uh, coming up in May, and um, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you know, even though I know Jesus now and I love him to distraction, you know, he doesn't come to make you happy, right? Making Jesus happy is what we're supposed to be about. And when we wanted to have children, um, we went through many years of infertility. And um, we lost two baby girls. One at five and a half months along and one at three months along in our pregnancies. And the next five years led us to Madison uh, for Becca, who is now 12 and in the seventh grade at West Suburban Christian Academy. And, um, and um, we, were, um, we, were, we missed her birth by an hour. Uh, Mary was there too, my sister, and, and just a tremendous, tremendous thing that God gave us for Becca. And then uh, four years later, we were in Guatemala. And uh, we arrived uh, four days and got Tori, Victoria Clare, 
um, black eyes, black hair. Uh, she's now seven and in the second grade. And, uh, man, she's my prayer warrior. She's prayed for all of you. She's asked, you know, if they don't know Jesus or they need to lay something down, Jesus, you just do it. She just prayed about two hours ago with me on the phone. And you know what? God so wonderfully has his best plans for you ladies. He wants us to go to that school of contentment and to repent and say, you know what, I lay this down. My mom did. My mom did. You know what? Circumstances looked pretty junky through me. But she walked by faith and not by sight. And all those thousands of secret hours. And guess what I have? I have all over my most first highest. I have all over Bibles. I have everything with all her little hand scratchings and all her praying for me. Now, see, I remember seeing my mom. You remember the magic spray sizing time when you had to like spray it on your white shirts and you had to like, my mom had a husband that was like, my dad was a business guy and she had to do all this magic spray sizing for his shirts and she'd be doing 10, 15 of them and I'd look at her like she was crazy in high school and it was so sweet, I will never forget, I said, mom, doesn't that just drive you nuts? She goes, oh honey, I am not ironing these shirts for your dad, I'm ironing them for Jesus. (laughs) You rock, mom. Like, when she was in assisted living, she had macular degeneration, both hips had gone, she ended up in a wheelchair, she had neuropathy in her feet, and she said, you know what, these people that are in Oakwood Village here in in Madison, they're going to have to trip over me to get to damnation. (laughs) You go, Mom, you go. That is the school of contentment. That's living out loud. You know, uh, she was in our home one time with macular degeneration. She smelled hazelnut coffee. She loved it. She came down the stairs, and um, she went around. She was coming down the because She couldn't see, and the end of her stairs has a banister that goes around, and she missed the last two steps. And she flew, and she fell on her hip. And I could see through the kitchen in the great room that it went just right over. And I went, oh, Mom, oh, Mom, oh, no. Not the tense words out of her mouth, not... In an hour, not when she ended up in the hospital, the first words out of her mouth, Oh, Margo, his grace is sufficient. 82 weeks old. Broken him. School of contempt. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. See, um, When the Lord works in your life with unpleasant circumstances and things that you wish you could change, He does so with the purpose of refining your spirit and drawing you nearer to Him into His purposes. We are to become conformed to the likeness of His Son. And then when that's happening, then just by you keeping your eyes on Jesus, Others around you will say, what is it about Jean? What is it about Karen? What is it about Leslie? What is it about Barbara? I want what you have. Nobody can act like that. You're right. I can't. But Jesus in me can. Because I'm attending this school of contentment. A woman went to a silversmith. He held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest so as to burn away the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot that she thought again about the verse that says, He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. 
That's from Malachi 3.3. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit right in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. And the man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, Oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. How do you know when the silver is fully refined? Oh, that's easy. It's when I see my image in it. See, he first brings us to him. And then the refining process starts. And it doesn't stop. Until God sees his son in our face. That's the school of contentment. I have learned to be content in and all things. What things are you unhappy about in your life? Do you find yourself always wishing you could trade places with somebody else? Oh, man, I like this race a lot better. That race is looking, oh, my neighbor is looking like a better race than mine, Lord. you got to be kidding me. You know, if you start doing that, you want to change places with somebody else, you are leading yourself to discontentment. You're leading yourself to dissatisfaction. You are leading yourself to heartache. You know what Paul did? You know what my mom did? She put trouble to work for you put trouble to work for you. The happy person, the contented person, can enjoy the scenery when taking a detour. I know. Leslie Hook took me on a detour all the way to Illinois on the way here. <laughs> I usually come from Oconomowoc, 16 to 12, right here, tops, 40 minutes, but no, I'm at the fish. I'll go pick Leslie up. We'll take 43. She takes that way. Not a problem. I'm like, there's 12. Then we take the, no, 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 Margo. It's the next one. It's the next one. All right. All right, and as women we are, right? Pretty soon I see Delavan. I'm thinking, we used to have a client in Delavan. In fact, I pointed out, look, we used to have a client in Delavan right there. Okay. In the advertising agency, I was like, oh, cool. Okay, then I see Beloit. I'm like, Beloit! And then Leslie's like, no, no, we're getting close. <laughs> we're getting close. I'm like, all right. All right, and I'm believing her. Okay, great, great. And you know what? I'm like, okay, when I see Janesville. I know that I know that we've taken a detour. I said, we're pulling off. Get the map. We pull out the map. Leslie goes, oh, we're 10 miles from the border. (laughs) Thanks, Leslie. You know, the contented person can enjoy the scenery when taking a detour. I looked at Leslie, and we both started talking about contentment. I said, you know what? Isn't this great? Nobody's mad. Nobody's upset. There's no blame. There's no anything. It's, well, you know what? God must have other purposes right now. You know what? So, we'll turn around and come back. He maybe protected us from being in an accident. You don't know what's going on. You don't know. He's got that great big picture he's looking at. we got little tiny snapshot eyes. And he does that. He says, you know, when Paul was in his dire circumstances, you know what? He found out that really in his weakness, that it gives him an occasion to depend on God's strength. 
When we're weak, we see that He's strong. Remember the saying, when God is all you have, you will find that He is all you need. When God is all you have, you will find that God is all you need. You know, a lot of times people will say, well, Margaret, you know, contentment, what I do is I count my blessings. You know, I count my blessings as a grateful heart. You know, that's a great activity in one respect. That's a great thing to do. It encourages you to number the things that are positive and the blessings that God's given you in your life. But you know what? Thanksgiving does not go hand in hand with contentment because you can be grateful for what you have, but still, like those cows I mentioned at the beginning, looking over the fence, longing for more. Thinking that it's, you know, proverbially greener over there all the time. Looking wistfully over the fence. So what is real contentment? Contentment is an attitude that is cultivated by consistent consideration of Christ's certain provision. That you know that you know that he's the provider. You know that you know that he's the God who is enough. You know his name. You're spending those thousands of secret hours with him and he's your best friend. And it comes pouring out of you. And you know what? To, to conquer that spirit of discontentedness, if you have that, you've got to hand over your desires to him, just like my mom did. And I said, you know what, God? You know better. My desire is this for my daughter. But, you know, I know that I know that even if I don't see it this side of heaven, that you will be who you are to her. That's faith. You hand over your desires to him. You put him in God's good old backpack and let him carry him. And then you acknowledge his power. You acknowledge his power to satisfy. You acknowledge his power to satisfy you, that everything in and through him satisfies you. Every want, that he is your satisfaction. And that his wisdom is best for you. You begin to fall in love with him. You know, Wayne Watson, anybody remember good old Wayne Watson? He's an old Christian artist. His, his sons are singing now. And he had this great song. said, I want to be the kind of friend that Jesus calls at the end of the day just to talk about nothing. That's who Jesus wants to be to you. Hey, how are you? I know how you are, but I just want you to tell me. I love you. I have my best plans for you. Don't go astray. You know what? Go to the school of contentment. Learn that. Learn from me. Sit at my feet and learn from me. Because no matter what your current condition is, you have this assurance from Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Lord, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance in you. See, when all of your expectations rest in Him and what He did for you on the cross and what He's doing right now interceding for you on the right hand of God the Father and the Holy Spirit that He's given you. Because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, says in Philippians, lives in you. Lives in me. There's no reason we can't go to the school of contentment. We have the Holy Spirit power. Unless you don't know Jesus yet. And then that's just all that is is saying, Jesus, you know, I don't know you. Please come into my life. Please forgive my sin. I know it's that easy. Take over. Take over. I'll gladly go to your school of contentment. So what is the contentment that we should long for? What is the contentment that we should long for? Not comfort. Not wealth. 
Not satisfaction with our own accomplishments. Not contentment with the world around us. Not satisfaction with the desperate needs of others. Definitely not a perfect husband. But a learned conviction. Like Paul. Like Carrie. Like Mark and Susan. Like my mom. And now me. About the goodness, the faithfulness, the the sufficiency of our provider God. The goodness, the faithfulness, and the sufficiency of our provider God, no matter what comes along. No matter what comes along. You know, um, it's just like this pastor, this young pastor in Zimbabwe, Africa, I'm going to close with. He says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. He was later martyred for his faith in Christ. Listen very, very carefully, ladies. God is never through with your life. Ever. He is never through with your life. He tells you in his word that he wants you to have joy and that cousin contentment and have it to the full. He came to give us that abundant life. But quite frankly, as I mentioned before, God is a gentleman and he's going to leave that up to you. However, do you know what? There will always be something in your life to tame you. Always something there to bring you to him because he loves you. Because he loves you and he pours his grace over you. Today you have met five people who have learned the secret of contentment. Who wants to be number six? Let's pray. I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. I thank you that you are who you said you are, God. You are not a God who's up there. Jesus, you're not a guy who's back in history and the Holy Spirit isn't just some weird spirit moving around. Lord, the Holy Spirit is here and in us. Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Lord, wherever we are at right now, change us. If we need to take another step by faith, if we need to lay down discontentment, if we need to ask for forgiveness from you, from someone, from each other, from a friend, from a husband, from a child, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, thank you for being the God of a gazillion second chances. 
And thank you for always, always being a hound of heaven and going after me. Lord, I ask that not one person walks out of here, these precious women, without <coughs> having a changed life. This isn't a self-help course, Jesus. This is all about you, and it rests in you. We can't add a little faith onto our life like we add a little bit of makeup. It doesn't work, Jesus. So, Lord, I ask that you would just, in your loving kindness, as you always go after us, that you would reveal yourself to the women right now. Some need to go from blind to sight. From blindness to sight. Oh, God, please. May they come to you at this very moment and lay down whatever's on their hearts. And Lord, if there are people in here who don't know you, then Lord, let them just climb into this prayer. Jesus, I don't know you as a relationship. I've sort of been just trying to reach you, and I don't know who you are. And right now, I accept that you're the one who died for my sins because I know I put you on that cross. And I thank you for doing that for me. Please forgive me. Enter my heart. May I live in that Holy Spirit power, in that school of contentment in learning until I see you face to face. Lord, change me now and thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And thanks for entering my heart. Or maybe you need to lay down some stuff. Maybe you need to tell him, Lord, you know what? I am one discontented person and I want you to change me from the inside out. So I'm going to give you about a minute just to be able to share with him in our quietness. Father God, I just thank you for what you have done in and through us. I thank you, Lord, that someday that I am going to see you face to face. Lord, I thank you that really it isn't about just today, but it's about living for the day. Lord, I just thank you for these women. And I just ask that through break, you just bless them and just fill them full of you. And they'd go home and it would be just a ripple effect in their families and friends and lives around them. And so Jesus, um, Let them share with each other how you have spoken to them today. And may we rejoice in it because it's good news. And we love to shout good news. So, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you've already done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.